Hello and welcome to the November 2023 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and in the unreasonably long period since the last episode, I went on an actual holiday for the first time in six years. I went to the home of Lego, which is Billund in Denmark, and at one point during the trip, I got a little bag of six red 2x4 Lego bricks. These are given out to each visitor to the Lego house, which is nothing to do with Ed Sheeran, and each one comes with a personalised card showing a unique way to combine these six bricks. So, for the mathematicians out there, how many of these unique combinations can they get through before they have to start repeating them? Answer coming up later. Today's guests are Mike Edwards and Lisa Varley, who will be along shortly to give us an update on the risk settlement market. But first, let's look at what's happened in the pensions world while my microphone's been gathering dust. The Pension Protection Fund has published its draft rules for the 2024-25 to levy, which will be payable in the autumn of 2024. The main headline is that the PPF's planning to collect a total of 100 million in levies next year which is around half of this year's figure. Almost all schemes should see a reduction in their levy, with the exceptions being schemes that have seen a significant worsening of their funding position or their sponsor strength. The PPF has noted that there could be a case for reducing the levy even further, or even having a zero levy, but they feel that they're prevented from doing this by the way the current legislation's written. Basically, if they reduce the levy too far, they limit their ability to increase it again if a funding challenge arose at some point in the future. They've therefore concluded that, unless the legislation is changed, they need to maintain at least 100 million of levy income each year. With the PPF levy continuing to come down, more focus is falling on some of the other levies that are charged to schemes each year. One of these is the general levy, which covers the cost of the pensions regulator, the pensions ombudsman and the money and pensions service. This levy is paid not just by DB schemes, but also DC schemes, including master trusts and personal pension schemes. And in most cases, it's based on the total number of members in the scheme. So apparently there's a bit of a deficit building up in the system, and the DWP have put out a consultation on potential ways to address this. They're looking at three options. So the first one would just be to freeze general levy rates at their current level, effectively putting off dealing with that deficit until later on. The second one would be to increase all rates by 6.5% a year, which should be enough to repair the deficit by 2031. The third option here involves more restructuring, so all rates would increase by 4% a year, but they'd also have an extra 10,000 a year payable by schemes with fewer than 10,000 members. This would place more of the burden on smaller schemes, and it's the government's preferred option. The consultation does make it clear that this is designed to encourage more consolidation, although in this case the encouragement does seem rather more stick than carrot. If you've got any feedback on these proposals, the DWP's consultation is open until the 13th of November. The Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, or TNFD for short, has published its final recommendations on a risk management and disclosure framework that will help organisations identify, assess, manage and disclose nature-related issues. The 14 recommended disclosures fall into four main areas that are aligned with the TCFD's approach. So these are governance, strategy, risk and impact management and metrics and targets. The intention is that nature-related disclosures will be consistent with climate-related reporting but there's currently no suggestion that TNFD disclosures will become mandatory for pension schemes. 
the TNFD will track voluntary market adoption on an annual basis through an annual status update report beginning in 2024. Sticking with the ESG theme and specifically the S in the middle, we've got an update from the Task Force on Social Factors. This was launched back in February of this year with the aim of helping schemes manage and measure social considerations relating to their investments. So that includes things like workforce practices, modern slavery and other supply chain issues, and diversity, equity and inclusion. The task force has just published a draft guide which includes 35 recommendations for the UK pension sector about how it can better incorporate social factors into investment decisions. The guide has sections on why social factors are important from an investment perspective, the data trustees can use to manage social factors, and a framework with three different levels of practice, starting from baseline and going right up to leading practice. The recommendations are intended to be useful, practical, and actionable, and the task force is looking for written feedback and further suggestions from across the industry, with a consultation running until the 1st of December. I'll just finish up the news with a quick update on inflation data as we now know the increases for the year to September 2023. The CPI increase came out at 6.7% and the corresponding RPI increase was 8.9%. Now these figures are going to be relevant for a lot of DB schemes as September is often used as the reference month for pension increases. The increases are lower than we saw last September, but still well above the pension increase caps that will be in place for most schemes. So having this data means these schemes can now start to have more informed discussions about potential discretionary increases. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. You may remember that around this time last year, I caught up with Lisa Varley and Jamil Morali from our risk settlement team for an update on the bulk annuity market. Well, I'm pleased to say Lisa's back for another update today, and this time she's brought Mike Edwards along with her. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast, and Lisa, welcome back. I guess the obvious first question is, what's happened in the market over the last year? Thanks for having us back, Ricky. So, over the last year, it's been incredibly busy, as I'm sure lots of people will be aware. Bulk annuity providers have now all published their 2023 half-year results and together they've written £21.1 billion worth of new business deals in the first half of this year. Now, this is the highest H1 volume that has ever been seen in the UK and it points towards a strong chance of the 2019 record of £43 billion for the full year being broken in 2023. Now, this is even more interesting when you consider that rising interest rates have pushed down deal sizes over the last 12 months. So insurers have had to insure liabilities for more members to reach the same deal volume compared with previous years. And this increase in activity has been driven by improving funding levels for many schemes, resulting in increased demand for bulk annuities from both trustees and sponsors, and meaning that insurers are inundated with requests for quotations. We're seeing some schemes being taken by surprise by this improvement in their funding level, meaning that they can afford to transact sooner than they had bargained for. Now, this can cause a problem if the scheme's investment strategy isn't aligned to a buyout target. For example, if the scheme is locked into an, an illiquid asset portfolio with several years before it can be run off. This has led to an interesting development from insurers who are starting to offer solutions to schemes to help them disinvest from their illiquid asset holdings and achieve a buy-in transaction. 
And I think just to add to Lisa's comments, you know, really interesting to see at the, the big picture level that the first half of this year is the record half year. But if we dig down into the detail, there's some really other interesting facts and figures uh, within there. So what one of these is that the average transaction size for the first half of this year was around 220 million, and that compared to 150 million last year. So I think to some extent, this reflects the fact that there have been more large transactions so far this year. So there's been six billion pound plus transactions, and that compares to five in total over the whole of last year. And I guess a larger average transaction size might also suggest that smaller schemes are being crowded out of the market. But but actually, when you look at some of the the detail, around two thirds of all of the transactions completed in the first half of this year were under 100 million in size. And there was also an increase in the number of transactions completed in that market segment versus the same period last year. So really interesting to see that. And another sort of interesting observation is that the market is currently well and truly dominated by full scheme deals with only three of the 95 transactions in the first six months being pensioner only buy-ins or buy-outs. And this reflects a couple of things, I guess, particularly general improvements in solvency funding levels, more assets being set aside by schemes to back LDI strategies following all of the market turmoil of late last year. So it's really a continuation of a theme which emerged last year where none of the 10 largest transactions in the market were were pensioner-only buy-ins. I guess final thought on this, it'd be remiss not to mention the longevity swap market. Uh, where we saw 8.3 billion of swaps completed in the first half of the year. Uh, these covered three individual transactions, um, including the nationwide pension fund swap, which Aon led. led. Um, and I guess, as ever, the number of longevity swap transactions is quite low compared to bulk annuities, and it's still generally the preserve of larger pension schemes. Okay, so um, Lisa mentioned the, the growth in the bulk annuity market there. Is that something we're expecting to continue in the future? That's a good question, Ricky. So whilst insurers are working hard to meet demand in the bulk annuity market, the key constraint to the market growing further is actually human resource. And this is both for insurers who need experienced pricing and installation teams, but also for advisory firms and administrators. We are seeing insurers becoming more selective over the cases that they choose to spend this limited resource on. And those schemes which haven't prepared properly for a transaction might find that insurers aren't that interested in quoting because they need to prioritise cases that are the most likely to transact. However, other insurers have spotted an opportunity to capitalise on market demand. And one insurer in particular, M&G, has very recently re-entered the bulk annuity market. So they've just announced that they have written two bulk annuity transactions so far this year. A 286 million transaction for Northern Bank and a 330 million transaction with one of its own pension schemes. And this is one uh, that Mike and I uh, both led the transaction advice on. As a reminder, for the purposes of the bulk annuity market, M&G are essentially the PRU revamped and rebranded. And they were formerly a key player in the market since its inception until they withdrew from the market back in 2016. Now, the addition of M&G to the bulk annuity market brings the total number of providers to nine. And there is some speculation uh, within the market that at least one more provider could enter this year. And can you just tell us a bit more about that M&G transaction that you worked on in particular? 
Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to share a bit more detail. So the, the transaction was for the M&G Group Pension Scheme. And as Lisa mentioned, the premium was around 330 million. Um, so Aon's roles in relation to the, the transaction, uh, one was around, was the scheme actuary role for the pension scheme. And then our risk settlement team led the transaction advice to the trustees and all of the structuring uh, related to that. So we actually worked with the trustees for over a year to put together a highly bespoke package with uh, the insurance arm of M&G. Um, one of the key features of this was that given M&G are a new entrant to the bulk annuity market, you know, notwithstanding their history with, uh, with Prudential, um, the trustee had a really particular focus here on making sure that the member experience would be positive, both in, ter both in terms of ensuring continuation of existing benefits and also a high quality administration service from the insurer. And just as an example, um, the scheme was still, a, was still open to future accrual and it isn't possible to ensure benefits for active members or at least it's not possible to ensure ongoing accrual. So this meant we had to work with the trustee, the scheme actuary and M&G to agree a, a, a process and a solution to enable active members to be given the option to transfer their benefits to a different M&G scheme and to continue accrue benefits on the same terms as before or to cease accrual in the M&G scheme and to have their benefits insured as part of the bulk annuity. Uh, so that was quite an interesting structuring aspect of the, the deal. Um, we also provided extensive due diligence support to the trustees in a number of areas to give them comfort that M&G would be a suitable insurer counterparty in the same way that we do for, for, for most of our bulk annuity projects, given the importance of these transactions. And here we focus on a number of things. We focused on the security of the UK insurance regime. We focused on M&G's financial strength um, and also importantly, its ability to administer members' benefits. And as well as that, um, it's ESG credentials and philosophy. And this latter area is something that we're seeing trustees focus on more and more as part of these transactions. So I think in summary, you know, we're really proud to have led this early transaction with M&G on their market entry or, or re-entry, as it's been called. And we look forward to working with them again um, on, on, on future transactions. Yeah. And just on that, what do you think we might expect to see from M&G going forwards? So M&G have been quite clear that they are looking to re-enter the market on a selective basis and they're going to be having a focus on mid-size schemes. So this is for deal sizes between £250 million and a billion pounds. So this means that we wouldn't expect them to be writing lots of deals straight away. Uh, for example, they haven't disclosed any volume targets in their half-year reporting. And we think they'll be quite careful about the tenders that they choose to spend their time on whilst they build their team and their experience back in the market. However, it is really welcome news that we have got another player in the market. And in time, we hope that this will ease some of the capacity constraints that we are seeing and allow more deals to be written whilst encouraging competitive pricing from insurers. Okay, so we've got one new entry in the market, or technically a re-entry, and Lisa did mention earlier on that there might be another one on the way. Um, Mike, is there anything more you can say about that at this stage? So we can't say too much, obviously, uh, but what we do know is that there are a real mix of providers looking at the market, um, and there's always been lots of rumours around, but this time we think there's more substance to the um, to the things that we're seeing and the things that we're hearing. And the, the types of organisations that are looking at the market right right now 
include long-standing life insurers who are developing capability to, to write bulk annuities, leveraging their existing internal capabilities. Perhaps insurers who've specialised in backbook consolidation, who are now looking to become a direct writer of, of, of bulk annuities. And some insurers who are well-established in other markets, perhaps like, perhaps like the US, looking at setting up branches in the UK. And then there are some others which are uh, perhaps investment management houses looking to develop insurance capability, perhaps part partnering with other firms. So it's actually quite a long and varied list of organisations that we understand are looking at the market right now. I guess what remains to be seen is how many of them will actually come through to be quoting on um, quoting on opportunities and then writing business. I think the barriers to entry in the market are quite high, given it is a very well established marketplace now. You know, Lisa mentioned nine insurers now active in the market. And I guess there are also numerous challenges for any new entrant to overcome, partly due to the complexity, which we all know and love about defined benefit pensions in the UK. Um, and some of those challenges come through in areas like pricing, reserving, hedging, and the investments that insurers need to source to, to back these policies. So it's actually quite a, a long lead in time for a new entrant to build the infrastructure and the capability needed. And there's also significant regulatory processes that need to be completed too before insurers can actually write um, any 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 kind of business. Um, but I think in summary, you know, we do expect um, new entrants to be quoting or a new entrant to be quoting at some point over the next year for sure. Okay, so just to wrap up, and I think I can probably guess what you're going to say for at least part of this. What should trustees be focusing on if they're thinking about a bulk annuity transaction? As you said, Ricky, it's ground that we've probably covered in lots of other uh, materials that Aon have put out over the years. Uh, but at the moment, a really relevant um, area for trustees to be focusing on is investment strategy. Um, so I mentioned earlier, there are particular challenges for trustees with exiting illiquid asset holdings when they're otherwise ready to do a transaction. So trustees should be thinking about this exit strategy well in advance um, with their advisors so that when a transaction is within reach, they're not held back by this particular aspect. And I think just to add to Lisa's comments, you know, and we have been saying this for many, many years, um, but it wouldn't be a bulk annuity podcast without some mention of uh, transaction readiness. And we really can't overplay the importance of, of that um, and being ready in all the other areas across data, benefits, governance, and all these things remain absolutely key to getting insurer engagement in these processes. You know, we have heard about um, instances in the market where insurers have turned down opportunities to quote, even for some very large transactions, um, because the data wasn't clean enough, uh, for example. And given that it can take a long time to prepare data, to prepare a benefit specification, you know, all these other things, particularly given how busy administrators are, uh, you know, we, we're recommending that clients focus on, on this and planning for this as early as possible. Um, and what we find in particular on the data side is that it's highly efficient to do this in tandem with other projects, such as preparing for a member options exercise or preparing for G GMP equalisation. So a more holistic approach to planning we're seeing become more commonplace in the market now. Great. Well, thanks to both of you for joining us today. That was a really useful update and I look forward to seeing what happens over the next year. Thanks, Ricky. Thanks, Ricky.
Now, today's episode has been focused on risk settlement solutions, but in the interest of balance, I should acknowledge that having buyout as the long-term target won't necessarily be right for all schemes. Aeon's recently launched a new framework for schemes aiming to run on in a highly secure way, delivering value for sponsors and members, and we're calling it Aeon's Active Solution to Run On, or ASTRO for short. We recently ran a webinar to introduce this new framework, so if that's something you might be interested in, check out the replay link in the show notes. Okay, I'd better deal with that Lego question before finishing up. So according to Lego, the number of unique combinations of six identical 2x4 bricks is 915,103,765. So if you said anything around a billion, then give yourself a pat on the back. And no, I haven't tried to check that number myself. That's all for now. So thanks for listening. And thanks again to today's guests, Lisa Varley and Mike Edwards. I'll be back before Christmas with our final episode of the year and there's a big announcement coming so make sure you tune in for that one. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. If you'd like more information on Aeon's Wealth Solutions or you want to feature in a future podcast you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aeon.com otherwise please visit our website or email talktous at aeon.com. Mm-hmm.